we are in the home stretch of Lent. You might remember we began on a drizzly Ash Wednesday evening around hot coals, burning the palms of last year's hosannas, marked with a sign of our mortality, sin, and redemption. We watched Jesus defeat temptation in the wilderness. We puzzled with Nicodemus over how we could be born again into eternal life. We heard Jesus offer the Samaritan woman living water for eternal life. We saw him open the eyes of the man born blind, and we followed the Lord, our shepherd king, who leads us into his goodness and mercy of his own house. Week by week, Lent has confronted us with the question of who Jesus is. And at each step, he's been offering life, eternal life, water of life, light of life, bread of life, abundance of life. Again, today we hear his words. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus brings life. There's just one problem. Death. What has shaped human history more than the inevitability of death? Think of all the stories. You know, pull a story out of the pipeline here. And a primary plot point is probably preventing death of the main character or death of others. Think of all the money spent researching how to live longer, how to avoid dying as long as possible. Think about the myths told across cultures about terrible things done to escape death. Whether that's the legend of Ponce de Leon conquering native peoples in his search for the fountain of youth, or Voldemort splitting his soul to create horcruxes so he can't be killed, or Elsa Schneider in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade grasping after the Holy Grail, even as the earth breaks open and she falls. Ah, I can reach it. Death looms over the human story. This enemy which can be befriended but not mastered. One of the few things that unites every human being who's ever existed in any nation or time. We die. The tragedy of death is not just that we die. It's that we weren't meant to die. The book on Lent by Esau Macaulay that we've been looking at this Lent, he puts it very plainly. We sin and die because humanity rebelled against God. We die because of sin. So death is a double tragedy. We feel on a visceral level it should not be this way because it shouldn't. We push away death because death may be inevitable, but it is not good. Our lectionary passages today make us ask this question. Is Jesus all talk when he claims to offer eternal life now? Does he talk a good game? Is it just a metaphor or some good rhetoric? Now we know the ending. But both Ezekiel and John take us on a really dramatic journey, a dramatic arc this morning. And I'd like us to walk that drama a bit. I'm going to flip back and forth between these arcs, the dramatic arc of Ezekiel, the dramatic arc of John. If you want to think in cinematic terms, we're kind of flash here, flash there. 
as they point us toward who Jesus is and what he means when he proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life in the face of death. The dramatic arc of both of these stories today has five parts. Our first, first part, a little caption you can imagine at the bottom of the screen, death destroys hope. Ezekiel, we have this valley full of bones. Imagine a big valley, a scene of a major catastrophe. There's been a battle, and the whole army just got slaughtered. Think of those war scenes in the big budget films, right? Bodies left on the battlefield. Oops, I don't know what my phone was looking up. Bodies left on the battlefield, not taken away to be buried, just left there. No dignity, total devastation. It's a grim scene and hard to look, look at. I haven't seen too many bones. The ones I've seen um, have been in Rwanda, where they have the memorial to the genocide, different memorials. And those bones, I tell you, that's a different sort of silence in the face of those bones. You can feel death when you look at bones. In John, Lazarus gets sick. I find it interesting that no one in this narrative doubts that Jesus could have healed him. They're convinced of Jesus the healer at this point. But by the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus had already been dead four days. Now, tradition in that culture, we think, said the human spirit lingered for a few days, waiting to see if the body would come back. But by four days, the spirit was gone. Again, any hope in Jesus being able to just heal Lazarus is gone by the time he arrives. You can imagine Mary and Martha feeling twice abandoned. They've lost Lazarus, their brother, and Jesus didn't show up on time. No wonder they wail. It did not have to be this way. So in both of these stories, death has destroyed hope. Second caption, the delay that brings pain. In Ezekiel, it's very clear this is not the scene of a, of a fresh battle. This didn't happen yesterday. This is a battle from a long time ago. It is long since done. The flesh is dust. The bones are bleached in the sun. It's, it's long since past. In the context of the book, Israel is in exile. They've been away long enough, about 10 years or more, that they've given up any hope they had for return. Imagine, you know, Israel in exile the first year, the second year, the third year. Okay, it's been over 10 years. Is there anything even left to go back to? We are like dry bones, O Lord. Zero hope for life. Why have you delayed? We're in the depths crying out to you, waiting for you like the watchman for the morning. But the morning... It's long overdue, and we are still waiting. How long, oh Lord? In John, Jesus famously delays leaving when he hears Lazarus is ill, and not because he doesn't care. Love for Lazarus and Mary and Martha is all over this passage. It could not be more clear how much he loved them. And he doesn't delay because he's afraid for his own life, which would be a legitimate reason, John 10, right before our passage, Jesus narrowly escapes being stoned to death, and he takes off from Jerusalem to let things cool down for a while. So verse 8, you hear the disciples saying, wait, we're going back there? What? 
They're scared of death. Thomas says, let's die with him. And then conveniently he's absent when it comes to the cross, right? But Jesus doesn't delay out of fear of death, but precisely because he does not fear death. So in both of these stories, the delay causes pain. Pain to Israel in exile year after year after year. Pain to Ezekiel, who God asks to walk back and forth among these bones, facing death. To Mary and Martha and others who love Lazarus and lose him. To Jesus himself, moved to tears in his gut, even though he knew what was coming. Why the delay when this pain could have been avoided? Why so much waiting? Why would God ask us to sit with the bones? Caption three, a question brings forth faith. The prophet Ezekiel, in the midst of the bones, hears the Lord ask, son of man, can these bones live? The obvious answer is no. They're long dead. Animals probably took some pieces away. But Ezekiel's answer shows a mark of faith. Sovereign Lord, Adonai Yahweh, only you know. You tell me, Lord, I look to you. It's a small bit of faith, but a faith nonetheless. In John, we have this long interaction with the disciples and then a long interaction with Martha and a shorter section with Mary. With Martha in particular, just like we saw with the Samaritan woman a couple of weeks ago, Jesus does this conversational thing designed to move her forward step by step. Mary's, or, sorry, Martha starts with some significant faith. She has a lot of I knows. I know you could have healed him. I know even now God will give you what you ask. Jesus takes a step toward her, invites her to step forward. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This was a common belief, particularly among the Pharisees in this time. But Jesus pushes her beyond the faith of the Pharisees. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Jesus doesn't ask that question very often, flat out like that. In fact, the only other time in John I could find was the, to the man we encountered last week, the man who was born blind. Do you believe this? What a question. And Martha seemingly doesn't even have to think about it. She responds with an astounding confession of faith, not just an I know, but an I believe. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Now, she doesn't yet know what that means. She doesn't yet have an imagination for what that means in the face of a dead body. She's still worried about the stench in the tomb. But like the Lord's question to Ezekiel, Jesus' question to Martha brings forward a faith in progress, but a faith nonetheless. Caption four, the word brings forth life. Ezekiel, the sovereign Lord tells him, prophesy to these bones, preach it, preacher. Proclaim to them the word of the Lord. Tell them they'll come to life. Tell them what the Lord will do. 
and the word of the Lord brings forth life. The bones rattle and come together. You can imagine, like in the doctor's office, when you see the little layers of the body, here comes one layer, here comes the next layer, the muscles, the sinews, the intestines, the organs, the flesh, the skin, the hair, the features recreated, but still on the ground, and fleshed, but lifeless. Prophesy to the breath, son of man. <sighs> Eyes open, and they stand, and suddenly they're not just bodies, but people again. Prophesy to Israel. Tell them I'm going to open their graves and bring them back, just like these bones. Tell them I'll place my spirit in them so they'll live and live in the land again. So Ezekiel proclaims that word to the people of God, confident that just as he proclaimed to the bones and the breath and it happened, the word of the Lord that gives life to dry bones will give life to the people of Israel too. As the psalm puts it, in his word is my hope. Then we go to Jesus' words in John. We have his words to Martha that we've talked about, bringing forward her faith, bringing her closer toward that eternal life in him. We have Jesus' words to the mourners at the tomb. Take away the stone. Remember, I told you, if you believed, you'd see the glory of God. We have Jesus' words to the Father, his first prayer in John. All of these words are doing the Father's work in the world. And yet all of these are words that could belong to a faithful prophet, a good rabbi, a compassionate man of God. But then we get to Jesus' words to the dead body of Lazarus. And we discover that these are not the words of a prophet like Ezekiel, who's declaring what God will do to bring life, but the words of the Son of God and Son of Man who has life in himself, the words of the one who spoke creation into existence. The words of one who doesn't just point to resurrection and life someday, but is in himself, in the flesh, the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come out. Jesus does not proclaim that someone else will give life. Jesus gives life himself through his words, through his self, out of his own oneness with the father of all creation and the spirit of life. Death has finally met one more powerful than he. Not just a prophet of the word, but the word made flesh. The word who brings forth life. Caption 5. And it's all for a purpose. We haven't yet answered this question. Why the delay when the pain could have been avoided? Why not just prevent the battle that made those bones? Why not just show up a couple days earlier, Jesus? Why would God ask us to sit with the bones? The two passages show us it's all for a purpose. God's ultimate purpose, always. In Ezekiel, 
prophesy to the bones. You'll live and breathe and come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Prophesy to the people of Israel. I'll bring you up from your graves and bring you back to the land and place my spirit in you, and you'll live, and then you will know that it is I who have spoken and have done it. You will know that I am the Lord. In John, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. To the disciples, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. At the tomb praying, Father, I say this out loud so that they may believe that you sent me. And then verse 45, therefore, many of the Jews who'd seen what Jesus did believed in him. God does not just want to heal us. God wants us to know him. Jesus doesn't just want to heal or teach. Jesus wants us to believe in him, not just as rabbi or healer or prophet, but as the Messiah, the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, the one who shatters death and sin and brings life now and forevermore. Jesus doesn't just want to heal Lazarus and have everybody go, whew, he lives to die another day. Thank goodness. Jesus wants to defeat death and sin and evil. And he wants to give that eternal quality of life to all who come to him. And that only happens through believing in him. Not just belief about him. Not just the I knows. But the I believes. Living trust in him. That trust that plucks us out of the realm ruled by sin and death and places us firmly in the realm ruled by the spirit of life and holiness. All of that drama, all of it, was for a purpose that we might not mistake that it is God who has done it, that we might know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life in his name. Because that's where all the rest of it comes from. I think of it, we'll see if this analogy makes sense because it's not in my notes. Our uh, faucet was broken for about a month. It would work well, and then all of a sudden the water would stop coming through. We all kind of stopped it. And I think about, it's there, and I just can't get it. <laughs> to me, faith is kind of like a faucet where the water can flow. The water can flow. We're connected to Jesus. That water of life can flow through us. If we're not, we're thirsty. Death destroys hope. Delay brings pain, as much now as back then. God's question brings forth faith. The word brings forth life, and it's all for a purpose, that we may know that he is God. What is God's word that brings life to us here today? There are three things that I want us to draw out together. First, Jesus wants us to believe in him. He wants faith for us. He wants to make it possible for us. He wants us to know him, to walk with him, not just know about him. He wants to draw us deeper into trust with him, step by step. Wherever you are today, whatever the level of your faith, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're rejoicing in, Jesus meets you there. He steps towards you. I imagine this little dance happening, right? Jesus is here. I'm there. Jesus takes a step. Now you take a step. 
Jesus takes a step. Now you take a step. He wants to draw us near. What question might he be asking you today? What is that next step he might be inviting you to take toward trusting his word of life? He also wants others to believe too. I was astounded looking at this Lazarus passage this week, realizing how many Jewish people of God came about because he delayed and Lazarus died. There was a whole group of people sitting Shiva in this household with Mary and Martha, and they all followed Mary to the tomb, and they saw this happen, and many believed. Jesus wants that. Do we believe, truly, people of God, that in addition to the good work of offering food, clothing, counseling, a listening ear, community building, all the things that are good things, do we believe that Jesus himself is actually the most powerful gift we can offer our neighbors and our world? Do we believe? Second, God wants more for us than mere healing. We've talked a lot about healing over the years at Redeemer, and healing is a good thing. Jesus wants healing for us, but that's not all that he wants. Because healing sometimes takes us back to the status quo, right? Like if you break an arm, having your arm healed means you can use it the way that you used to, right? That's a good thing. But what Jesus wants is for that arm that was broken to begin to work in new ways, lift it up in worship to him, open-handed in service for others, reaching for things that bring life instead of things that bring death. And sin is death, make no mistake. Similarly, God's purposes for us go beyond sparing us from pain. I think about this with the research on, ki on kids and resilience, right? If you spare your kids too many things, they actually don't do as well in life. They need to build some muscles for resilience. What would have been lost if Jesus had just showed up right away and healed Lazarus? When we focus on healing or our desire to be relieved of, relieved of pain, sometimes that can become something that focuses just on us. As I said, I believe God wants our healing as individuals in the world, in our own Redeemer community, but he also wants to heal in such a way that we know that he is God, that he has done it. So just think about that for our own church community in this time. How might God bring that healing and that life that we long for in a way that makes it absolutely clear. He has done it. May it be so, O oh Lord. And last, prophesy to the bones. Now, what do I mean by that? We aren't prophets like Ezekiel. I mean this. Whatever those bones are, <laughs> in your life, in your imagination, those things that seem long gone, long past revival, long past life, whether that's things in your heart, in our community, in the world, whatever those are, sit with them, mourn them, hold Shiva for them, but then begin to imagine and pray. Begin to imagine what it would be like for those bones, whatever they are, to take on new life, a new shape. Begin to imagine not death, but life, not despair, but hope. What could God do with these old dry bones? 
As the song goes, you make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of dust. What if at Redeemer, God is calling us into a deeper, more abundant life than we've ever stopped to hope for? What if his desire for us is not that we do Christian business as usual, but as the collect puts it, for us to truly love what he commands and desire what he promises so our hearts may be fixed where true joys are to be found. God has more for us than healed, dry bones. He offers eternal life now. Lent is when we remember that in Christ we die, all of us. We die to sin. We die to the power of death. We die to ourselves that we might truly live. Mourn what has died. But then, people of God, prophesy to the bones. Hear the word of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.